Hello, listeners. Editor Brett here. Um, just wanted to give you a little heads up. The audio is a little wonky on this episode. Uh, Stephen was having some microphone problems. I've I've done my best to clean it up, and hopefully it sounds uh, good to you guys. So uh, with that being said, please enjoy our episode on Prince of Persia. Bye. Hello and welcome to Disenfranchised. We are a podcast that covers movies, movie podcasts, like because the world doesn't have enough of those hosted by two large bearded white men. Uh, but here we are, another one. Um, and we talk about movies, movies that uh, wanted to have franchises, m- maybe some that deserved, maybe some that didn't deserve to have franchises, but either way, they did not have the franchise that they so desired. I'm Stephen Foxworthy. I am one of your hosts. And there's my other host way up there. Oh, no, he's jumping off that building. Oh, oh, it's slow motion. And now he's hitting the ground at regular speed. It's Brett Wright. Hi, Brett. Parkour, Stephen. Parkour, indeed, my friend. How are you this fine, fine, dreary Sunday? I'm good, man. It's Thursday when you guys are listening to this. We're recording it on a, on a dreary Sunday. Yeah, I love a good dreary day. Yeah. Overcast, raining, a little chilly. Great day to stay inside and drink some coffee or tea. That's my favorite kind of day, man. I love it. Sure. Put on some movies or, or in our case, record a podcast about movies. Yeah, because everybody's doing that in the pandemic. So, you know, that oversaturation right. is just getting even more oversaturated. Boy, howdy. Yeah, and, and all the celebrities that are locked at home are getting into it and stealing all the all the bandwidth away from the little guys like us, ensuring that we will never get discovered. But hey, that's fine. Now look, man, don't 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 discourage it. Look, you don't know. I'm just so depressed. No, you're I'm gonna fine. you're gonna be eating those words in like a year. I hope so. I hope you're right. Popping off. I hope you're right, man. I just hope they don't go back and discover all these old crappy episodes that we're doing now. <laughs> uh, come on, this is good stuff, man. This is no, good stuff. This is good content, man. We're we're that's and that's all it is. It's content. Um, and we're, we're, we're content creators now. We're part of that world. We are in week two, Brett, of our Disney Plus December month. So this whole month of December, we're covering movies that are currently streaming on Disney Plus. Yeah, it's, you know, December, you could argue, is maybe the month of Disney. They love to release Star Wars movies around here. Disney yeah. is a very Christmas. Uh, they love Christmas there at Disney. You got Disney's Christmas Carol, the Robert Zemeckis movie. You got Mickey's Christmas Carol, the the Mickey Christmas, you know, Christmas Carol and Disney. They just hand in hand. There's nothing more Dickensian than a massive corporation embodied by a, a mouse. Either way, I don't know. There's something ironic in that sentence. I'll let you figure out what it is. Um, but the movie, so the movie that we're talking about today is, in fact, a Disney Plus film. What movie are we talking about today, Brett? We're talking about another video game adaptation. We haven't we done, done one, one of these, these in a while. No, we haven't done one of these since our first episode, Super Mario Brothers. We're talking about Prince of Persia this time. Prince of Persia, colon, The Sands of Time from 2010. And remember what I said on our Master and Commander episode. If you want kind of a quick reference as to movies that wanted to start franchises, uh, they almost always have subtitles in the name. Uh, so The Sands of Time being the subtitle here. Uh, directed by Mike Newell. And uh, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Gemma Arterton, Ben Kingsley, Alfred Molina, uh, Stephen Toussaint, Richard Coyle, uh, Reese Ritchie, and um, 
some other people uh, who's who I've never heard of. But there you go. That's uh, that's a, it's an okay cast. There's there's some there's some bright spots and some dark spots in that cast. Yeah, uh, you know Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Alfred Molina, uh, Ben Kingsley is Ben Kingsley. I mean, he's he's Ben Kingsley, of course, but like he's, he's Sir Ben Kingsley. He's fallen kind of far. He he is. So let's let's just let's just start talking about Ben Kingsley. I guess that's how we're going to start this episode. Uh, we're we're getting we're doing it all out of order this episode. But who even cares? So Ben Kingsley, famed uh, British character actor, English character actor. He he still does good stuff on occasion. Known uh, probably uh, best as playing the title role of Gandhi in 1982, for which he won his Oscar. He's been nominated for Oscars other times too. I think he was nominated for The House of Sand and Fog with Jennifer Connelly from last week's episode on The Rocketeer. Love Jennifer Connelly. She's great. She's beautiful. Paul Bettany's a lucky man. Kind of weird that we talked about them in such close proximity. We talked about Bettany a few weeks ago and then talked about Connolly last week. So that's, that's odd. And I, and true story. I honestly did not know they were married. That is a lucky man. Indeed. I yeah. love Paul Bettany even more now. Right. Mad respect. Paul Bettany, Paul Bettany, come on the podcast, Jennifer Connolly, come on the podcast. And I just will not talk the whole episode. I will just, I will just be in awe that you are breathing the same digital air. I don't know. That doesn't quite work, but uh, no, that's a, a little weird. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, moving on, he is uh, he's Meyer Lansky in the movie Bugsy. He's in Sneakers, which is great. He's in Schindler's List. Uh, he's in the movie Species, which is okay. Got a lot of attention uh, for the movie Sexy Beast in 2000. Uh, I've heard he's very good in that. And then it's kind of hit and miss. Um, and, you know, hit in 2003, House of Sand and Fog. Miss in future episode, The Thunderbirds in 2004. Fagin and Oliver Twist in 2005. Blood, he's in the, the Blood Rain movie in 2005. I think he's one of those guys that kind of just takes paychecks. Like, he's not ashamed to take a paycheck. He's in Lucky Number Slevin, which is a movie I saw in theaters. Ugh. Don't remember anything about it except that it has Bruce Willis in it. Ben Kingsley in that movie apparently plays a character called The Rabbi. Okay. So, yeah. I don't know. Um, he's... <laughs> He is uh, he's in a future episode of The Love Guru. Oh, well, that's really all you need right there. As, case uh, closed. Guru tugging my putta. Oh, God. Case closed. Just... Um, but then he's in the Martin Scorsese film Shutter Island the same year as this movie. So, like, what even are you doing, Ben Kingsley? But, you know, he's, he's in Hugo, Academy Award-winning film Hugo. And then he's, he's in Iron Man 3. People love him in Iron Man 3, but then he's also in the Sasha Baron Cohen movie, The Dictator. He's in the future episode of this show, Ender's Game. Like, it just, it, it's he's kind of all over the board. And what it ultimately comes down to, as near as I can tell, is the man will just sometimes take paycheck movies. Like, he'll just sometimes do movies for the money. And I can't say that I blame him, because if I were an actor, I'd be doing the same thing. Sure. Well, and he shows up, and it's instant gravitas, too. Like, yeah. Uh, well, also the other thing when he shows up, at least in movies like this, mm-hmm. uh, when he shows up, you're like, yeah, that that guy's the villain. Yeah, yeah. You don't you don't cast Ben Kingsley unless you need a villain, and he's surprise the villain in this movie. Oh no, I certainly didn't call that right away. <laughs> However, would I have seen that coming? Oh no. Uh, oh right, Ben Kingsley is wait checks notes in this movie. There you go. That's how you know. 
Um, no, but you're a hundred percent correct. Like he just, when he shows up and stuff like this, he is almost always the villain. And I mean, dude does several movies a year. So dude works. Maybe, maybe not quite as much as say Samuel L. Jackson, but dude works like dude gets the money. So good for him, man. If, if you got to do Prince of Persia, do Prince of Persia, I guess. But it's not like you have to necessarily go to these locations because so much of this movie was filmed on, on green screen. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. The visual well, effects in this movie are kind of hit and miss real bad. They are. Some of them are really good. Some of them are really not. We're kind of getting, like, like I mentioned, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves because we usually don't talk about the cast until later. Uh, it, just felt like a good, it just felt like the right time. You know, sometimes we just got to play a little loose, you know. Um, but, we always do, Stephen. We always get ahead of ourselves before we do the plot in 60 seconds. It's just a I'm, thing now. We're not even to the plot in 60 seconds. That's I the know. thing. We have not even talked about our personal relationships with this, with this property. With That's the Prince true. of Persia property. So I have, I'll just, I'll go first. I have no history with this property because I don't play video games. Uh, but Brett, I know you play video games. What's your history with the Prince of Persia series? Um, a decent amount. So welcome back to Brett's Video Game Corner. Let's video game corner. Yeah, if anybody out there wants to, uh, I just wrote you a jingle for Brett's video game. Yeah, corner. if anybody out there wants to record that jingle, uh, so I can throw it in here, that'd be great. Um, yeah, there you go. Well, it's a jingle. So yeah, I, I I played the first two um, a long time ago though. Like if if there was, I don't remember a whole lot of the plot of the second one. Um, I only remember a decent amount of plot from the first one because there's barely any. And also, interesting uh, story. So this this movie is based on the second, or, well, the first reboot, second trilogy. Um, it was originally um, a, a series, a trilogy of computer games um, in the early to mid-90s, I want to say. One of the first uh, PC games to use 3D uh, technology. That's cool. Um, and then... The creator of that series um, was part of the reboot, which is what this is based on. The first game called Prince of Persia's Hands of Time. And then the second was Prince of Persia Warrior Within. Um, so thing is, though, outside of a few minor, I'll even call them Easter eggs, Destan in this movie, which isn't his name in the games. Uh, that's a thing from, he didn't need it. He's, he's just called the prince in the games. He didn't really have a name. Oh, interesting. Okay, I was yeah, about to um, ask. You, you could probably tell that I was about to ask. Yeah. Um, he He's wearing uh, the prince's outfit from the second game. Like okay. A, when they're raiding the city the first time, uh-huh. um, he's wearing, he's basically wearing the outfit from the second game. Um, but it, like, it's, it, that's really all it is. Because um, the dagger doesn't really work the same way. Kind of does. Um, in, in the games, the dagger can not only reverse time, it can speed up time and slow down time. Oh, interesting. I mean, you kind of see that, like with the snake, when the, when he presses it and the snake's like coming at him and kind of like slows. But it it probably doesn't work the same way. No, and I think that's just more of like the, that scene was a little weird. Um, in that I don't know they they sort of ex, like they they never they never outright say that the dagger can't do more than just reverse time, but they don't mm-hmm. not not say that either. That seems to be the implication of the film, for sure. The whole plot centers around wanting to get the dagger for nefarious time travel purposes. Yeah, which isn't really the plot of the game. It just sort of is. Like, there's there's a lot of Aladdin vibes in the game. 
I was going to say a lot of Aladdin vibes in this movie. Yeah. Or it's, so it's like the, the prince um, and his father are sort of coerced by an evil vizier to attack the kingdom where the hourglass, well, they call it the sand glass in the movie, but it's, it's in the game. It's just a giant hourglass. Um, okay. Just a giant glowing hourglass. Um, Whereas in the movie, it looks more like the hilt of the dagger that they're carrying around. Sure. Um, but it's way more like, I don't know if I want to say like Eldritch, just like, I don't know, just over the top. It looks like something out of like, you know, one of those God movies, you know, just over the top, like unnecessarily large and epic looking just for the sake of being large and epic looking. Uh, Cause I'm sure, you know, just a giant glowing hourglass probably didn't have that same effect. And it really just, it all takes place within one castle area and the whole conceit of the game is just platforming and you know solving a puzzle within this one room and using the dagger to do that and maybe there's some combat because that's the other thing that's kind of missing from this movie is when they release uh the sands of time from the hourglass um accidentally um it corrupts everyone in the kingdom and turns them into like these monsters and those are the main enemies you fight in the game uh, they're nowhere to be found in the movie, obviously. No, they're not. I This movie could have used some monsters, quite frankly. Yeah, and I kept waiting for them. Um, and, they, yeah, there weren't any. Uh, and, like, the, the princess doesn't even have the same name. Um, it's Princess Farah in the games. Um, so that's that's another one of those I think I've mentioned before. We're like, why did you change that? Was that really necessary? She could have had the same name. It wouldn't have mattered. You mentioned that, honestly, in our first episode on Super Mario Brothers, the last time we covered a video game. Yeah, like why? Why? What's the point? And and she's way more involved uh, in terms of like she's less of a damsel in distress, and she's like she has a bow and arrow. She fights enemies alongside the prince. Um, to be fair, they try to have Tamina fight a little bit, but she can barely hold her own. Yeah, and that is that's not the case in the games. I mean, this there's definitely a there's definitely a model that they're trying to follow for this movie and it ends up being less successful because it's trying to adhere to that model, quite frankly. Yeah. What's interesting. And unfortunately is, the model is not the video game it's based on. Right. Well, what's interesting is the original creator of the original series and the first game, because after Sands of Time, he wasn't really a fan of the direction Ubisoft was taking it. Sure. Um, so he pretty much quit. Uh, like you do. Right. Um, so, I mean, he pretty much, he, he had a very big hand in writing this movie, which is fine. Like, you know, they wanted an epic, you know, like the mummy sort of movie, you know, the pirates of the Caribbean franchise had just ended for them, uh, in 2007. So three years prior, and they kind of wanted something to take up that mantle. Yeah, and I, and I can't be mad about an adaptation where, like, the original game is just they're in one location and most of the gameplay is solving puzzles. Now, the, the, rest, the rest of the game is, like, combat and parkour. And this movie does that. The movie does that really well. It, A lot of slow motion, speed up stuff, uh, just in terms of the, like, the aesthetic of it. Like I mentioned, there's scenes where people are jumping off buildings in slow motion and then landing at regular speed. I mean, there are parts of this game that reminded me a lot of like game mechanics. A lot of the weapons seemed like video game type weapons, 
Um, but I mean, is, am I, am I wrong about that? Or is that, is that something that's in the game as well? Uh, no, I mean, well, I mean, the Prince doesn't really have other weapons outside of a scimitar and the dagger. Um, okay. But I mean like the, the stuff that the, uh, the, uh, the assassins, um, Hassan, Hassansons. Yeah. Yeah. The Hassansons, um, like their, their weaponry reminded, like, just seemed like it was video game style weaponry. Uh, it does, but the only one that's uh, like the whip guy with the, like the, the claws at the end. That one especially. Yeah, that is actually from the second game. Okay. I want to say, uh, but the rest of it, no, it was just made up for the movie. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, but so in that aspect, I guess you know the parkour and the combat very faithful to the original game. Um, but the story, not so much. Well, and I can't be mad about that, though, because there isn't really much of a story. Like, there's, you know, he's wanting to get back. He's, he's wanting to get back and save the kingdom and, you know, restore the sands of time to the hourglass, which is, it's it. You know, he's got the dagger. They can do, you know, time screwy stuff with. And, you know, that's really it. So writing a whole new story in between the two things, not terrible. Also, he's yeah. an actual prince. He's not an adopted prince. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I mean, that's that's that was one of the Aladdin elements is the fact that he is the adopted prince. He's a street urchin that becomes a prince. Uh, it's also very Moses esque, like adopted by the king and becomes essentially a prince. Uh, Moses was a prince of Egypt. Uh, Destan is a prince of Persia. Right. Yeah. So, and again, that's another like. You just ripping off other stuff wholesale. You didn't even need to rip off wholesale. Like you just like why? Why add this backstory that didn't even need to be there? Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I wish I could answer that question for you. I legitimately don't know. Um, but man, yeah, that's because uh, I, I, again, watching the movie, I'm just like, well, that's got to be part of the video game. Well, that's got to be part of the video game. Okay, this this definitely sounds like a, seems like a video game. Uh, shocked to learn that most of it is not. Yeah, pretty much, absolutely not. It's it's one of those. Uh, I would even go so far as to say, in name only adaptations. Okay, interesting, interesting. And I, 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 if you know what, if I were a fan of the game, I'd probably be getting really mad about it right now. But I've never and, played it, so. Well, and you know, I would say I'm a fan. I mean, it was, it was Assassin's Creed before Assassin's Creed was a thing. Like they, a lot of it seemed very Assassin's Creedy, just from what I know of that game. I've not played that one either, but have seen some of the gameplay, etc. Yeah, and I'm an even bigger fan of Assassin's Creed. So, like, I know that's where Ubisoft took a lot of stuff. They took okay. a lot of Prince of Persia stuff, and that's what Assassin's Creed became. Um, okay, which makes sense. Yeah, because they, they, you know, they did a third Prince of Persia game that kind of sucked, and then so they tried to reboot it again, um, and that flopped completely. Gotcha. Uh, so and then they abandoned it, um, more or less. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, it's not terrible just because, like I said, there's not a whole lot of story there. And I can't be mad about them fleshing out a story that wasn't even there to begin with. Right. And especially when it was the original writer. Now, I mean, there's we we can eventually talk about um, this. This is going to be a really weird pull. But in the sense of the original writers adapting their own stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Okay. um, I love the book. Okay. Watch, watch the movie when what the hell is this adaptation? What are you doing? Sure. And then found out he wrote it. <laughs> I'm like, huh? Okay. Interesting. Did you just want to completely change what you did already? 
Uh, so, maybe. Yeah, maybe. So, you know, maybe that could be it. So I, I can't I can't be mad at like the original writer doing something different. Sure. Or that would be awfully presumptuous of me. I mean, you know, and that's that's I guess kind of where you you where you tend to land, I suppose, but I mean, yeah, it just weird choices made for weird reasons is I think I mean, and that's kind of one of the hallmarks that we tend to talk about a lot on this show is you know, who is this for? Cuz it's clearly not made for fans of the original thing because of all the liberties that you're taking, but also not for general audiences because it's just so out there and weird. And I, I think this one might probably fall somewhere in that camp. I would say so. It definitely, yeah, somewhere in between. Cause you know, I don't really think fans hated it, but at the same time, I can't really see major audiences liking this either. Yeah. So. I, and I mean, they didn't, <laughs> spoiler <laughs> alert. They, nope. they didn't. They sure didn't. Um, and uh, yeah, so let's, I mean, let's, let's, let's get into the plot then. Uh, if such, such as we are able. Yeah, I've, I've of, rambled enough. Oh, I mean, Hey, if you win the coin toss, you might be rambling some more. Hooray. Uh, hey, um, but we, we do the plot uh, and we do it as quickly as we can, which is to say we do the plot in 60 seconds. Uh, I'm going to flip the coin of justice, our favorite and uh, only recurring character on the show. And uh, we're, we're going to flip the coin of justice. Uh, Brett will call it in the air. And depending on how it lands, one of us will give you the plot of Prince of Persia, colon, The Sands of Time from 2010 uh, in 60 seconds or less. Or your podcast is free. Brett, are you ready to call it in the air? Always. Then, Brett, call it in the air. Tails. Lucky you, unlucky me. It is Tails. Um. Oh, dang it. I knew this was going to happen to me because I, I have no notes for this movie. I feel good about it, honestly. I just had that one really hot take I mentioned in last week's episode. and, and oh, oh. So um, put 60 seconds on the clock, I suppose. Yeah, let me do that for you. Yeah, appreciate it. So you can it, prepare yourself, maybe pull up the uh, Wikipedia page, refresh <sighs> your memory. Yeah, the Wikipedia uh, page is just like 10 paragraphs long. Whatever um, you, Whatever you got to do, <clears throat> brother. I don't know, man. Dude. Do you just want me to do it anyway? Is that what you're no, trying to do? No, I'll, I'll do it, man. I will honor the decision of the coin of justice because the coin of justice is just above all things. It's in its name. So That's true. That's it's only true. just that I do the plot in 60 seconds, but I'm just not happy about it. That's, that's all there is to that. <laughs> I'm never happy about it. I complain every time. It's you do. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. It's something that neither one of us like to do. Yeah, but and what, that's I mean, why it's fun. The alternative is us talking about for the plot for the entirety of the episode, and none of us wants that. So. No. Every other movie podcast does that. We don't want to do that. That's right. We don't want to do that. Uh, all right. We're set to go, man. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm ready when you are, man. All right. Your time starts right now. Destan is the adopted prince of Persia. He's got a couple of brothers, one of which is successor to be king. Uh, he's going to attack the uh, city of Alamut. And they do so, and Destan is the one that gets them the victory. Uh, but they, he steals a dagger that um, his uncle wants. Um, he doesn't give it to him, so he, his brother gives him a robe that his uncle gave him to give to him that poisons his dad. His dad is dead. Destan is blamed. So he gets run out of town with the princess of Alamut. They are... 30 seconds. Damn it. Um, they um, are on the run. He finds out that the dagger is really a time travel device. It can take him back in time a minute. Uh, and then they realize that, um, he, his uncle is really the bad guy and his uncle wants to use it to travel all the way back in time. So, and not save his dad from getting killed. Uh, 10 so seconds. That, 
Uh, so um, they they fight off a bunch of assassins, and he tries to kill everybody. Dies, and he tries to stab the rock glass, and doesn't. That's all. That's it. You're done. You're done. Uh, Call it. Dang it. Um, yeah, but at the end of the movie, he gets transported back to the beginning of the movie and stops the whole movie from happening. That's that's basically the end of the movie. You, you gotta love a movie that's completely worthless at the end of it. No. So okay, here's the other thing. That's one of the best twists from the game. The game opens with him doing the narration of mm-hmm. the whole story. At the end of the game, they reveal he went back before it all happened, and that's the big like twist at the end of the game. Is oh, that so that actually is from the game. He's recounting the entire adventure of the game to the princess that he spent the whole game getting to know, much like this movie, mm-hmm. um, and you know, telling her something... So this is the difference, though. In in the game, he says something to her that she told him in secret, and that mm. tips her off that like, oh, he's this is real. This isn't just a story he's telling. Sure. Um, well, it, it, which comes back in this movie too, because he does the same thing to his brother. Right. Instead of the princess. Right. So. So yeah, that's from the games actually, that, and that's okay. a nice twist in the game. But they do it to less effect in this movie. It just makes the whole movie feel like, why did I watch all this? Because we're just back at the beginning, and now the whole movie that I just watched never happened. Uh, yeah, I have a, I have a similar feeling at the end of like the Usual Suspects, where you you pretty much spoiler alert for a movie that's decades old. You find out at the end of that movie that. Um, Kevin Spacey has been the bad guy the whole time, and the entire story he just told you is completely made up. Kaiser Susie. Kaiser, so I'm telling you, it's Kaiser Susie. I, that's that's one impression I can do weirdly well. Is the the burned the the uh, the guy on the run at the beginning of the Usual Suspects? I can do that one. Kaiser Susie, love it. Um, but no, it's super fun. I, I just yell that all the time. But yeah, this movie. So much to say about this movie. What's this hot take? Let's just let's get to that. What's your I've hot been, take? On I've it? been teasing a hot take to Brett um, off mic. So my take is that this is at least part of this movie is weirdly uh, an Iraq War allegory because you've got um, you've got a a son of a of a, a global superpower, which Persia was the Persian Empire, global superpower. Uh, the the son of a leader of a global superpower invading a a foreign land uh under the guise of uh them having weapons which don't actually exist i'm sorry a middle eastern foreign land under the guise of having weapons that they don't actually have that makes a disturbing amount of sense yeah i i for some reason that just clicked in my head and i was like wait but why is but but then you got the whole the uncle is actually the villain thing and it kind of falls apart but i'm i'm literally watching this movie going this why is this an Iraq war allegory all of a sudden? And, and then I'm like, is this intentional? Is this an intentional Iraq war allegory? Because if this is an intentional Iraq war allegory, what is it doing in this like Disney family action adventure movie that's supposed to be the big follow-up to Pirates of the Caribbean? And I don't have an answer for that question. I really don't. But that's my take on this movie, uh, is that it is, a, it is a secret, potentially unintentional Iraq war allegory. I mean, I'd have to say it's unintentional, right? Like it's... I would hope it's unintentional because if it's intentional, I think if it's intentional, it's far more disturbing for whatever reason. But it, you can't deny the bare bones are there. Sure. Yeah. No, I, yeah. That's, uh, 
Wow, that makes a disturbing amount of sense. I have no notes on this movie. All I have is that. That's all I have to bring to the table this episode. I can pretty much tap out. I can be done. <laughs> no, I'm going to talk about, you know, the performances and the director and all that. All the stuff I normally talk about on these episodes. But that's like my my hot take for this episode. Is uh, Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, is uh, is uh, an Iraq war allegory. There you go. Okay. Well, I mean, let's... Let's uh, let's segue that into the other uh, pink elephant in the room uh, that we're going to talk about for the, for the third, third time. time on this podcast. Uh, we, on this, so it, we have been a podcast for 13 weeks. This, this is our 13th episode. So that is that's less than a, that's less than a quarter of the year. And there are two things that we have done three times. We have discussed three different Bond actors and we have discussed whitewashing three different times. Not intentionally. This just accidentally happens. Yeah, this, this, none of this is stuff that we had planned. Legitimately, this is just stuff that as we're, as we're, as we're going through the movies and picking what we want to watch, here, here it comes again. Here's whitewashing again. It's, um, yeah, so there you go. That's, that's the thing that we're talking about now because uh, uh, most of the actors in this movie are, uh, are very, very white. Yeah, and they're supposed to be Middle Eastern. Yeah. Um, I mean, and you've got... Um, like white or European descent uh, for most of these actors. Steve Toussaint is a, is a, is a black actor. Um, you've got a couple of, of darker skinned actors. Uh, ben Kingsley is Indian or of Indian descent. I should say he's actually English, British, but is of Indian descent. But, uh, but yeah, uh, everyone else of European descent, either British, American, or uh, in Alfred Molina's case, uh, Spanish descent. So Yeah. A lot of Europeans in this movie. Again, we're the wrong guys to talk about why it's wrong, but it's not good. Hollywood do better. This is before, though, the big whitewashing controversies that would plague Hollywood later. I remember it being an issue, but I don't remember it being quite as big an issue as, say, when Gods of Egypt came out. See our previous Gods of Egypt episode. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm loath to mention it, but Jake Gyllenhaal, real tan, uh, to a disturbing degree. Gemma Arterton, real tan, wearing a black wig. So, I mean, I'm not going to say it, but it, look, it's real bad. It's yeah. not good what it's they're not, doing It's here. not a good look. It's no, not a good look. Not even a little. No. I mean, you. there's a reason that you tend to cast actors like Ben Kingsley and Alfred Molina in roles like this, because they are very uh, racially ambiguous in terms of their overall look. Like Ben Kingsley plays uh, a lot of Jewish characters which has its own set of fun connotations to go along with it. And, you know, Alfred Molina plays all kinds. He's played characters from all sorts of different places, starting with one of his very first roles, which is in Indiana Jones, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. He's the throw me the whip guy. And I don't know, I can't tell you what nationality he's playing, but it's not British. I mean, I always thought it was Spanish. But they, they were, yeah, I thought that could be yeah. I I mean, here's the thing they never make it clear and uh you're you're just it, it just coded as foreign and that's all you need apparently yeah sure i mean there's some kind of accent there i just, mm -hmm. I just don't know what it is same and yeah. i'm usually pretty good at picking out accents but yeah I mean, here's the thing i love alfred molina like he is like he is one of my uh actor heroes like i think he is so great i think he's had a great career as just one of the great all-time that guy actors and you know every time he shows up he's going to be incredible he's been in some of my favorite movies uh boogie nights he's insane in boogie nights 
um, Spider-Man two. He's amazing in Spider-Man two. Like he's, and every time he shows up, I'm like, I'm in good hands. Alfred Molina is here. He's going to be great. So he shows up in this one and I'm like, great. Alfred Molina is here. And I, I mean, this movie, he is, he is the most fun part of this movie. This movie could have used more of him, but, um, probably could have been played by an actor of could have and should have been played by an actor of middle eastern descent yeah i agree on that point but i i'm glad that at least there's one bright spot in this movie because i mean he's doing he's doing john reach davies from the indiana jones movies is essentially what he's doing uh in this in this film that's kind of the role he plays the the fun comic relief kind of role yeah and i i he helped me get through this movie he, he is that is why he's here yeah because i because when, you're still when, in good hands when he shows up yeah when he showed up i was like oh great Alfred Molina's here this is fantastic I, i'm all in dude is doing great work i'm laughing the only time i laughed at any joke in this movie was is this movie good actually no but Alfred Molina is in it yeah um and then when he comes back i didn't think he was going to come back later in the movie but when he shows back up i'm like oh great fantastic i love this i'm back in I'm in good hands again. Yeah, he's just doing good stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I look, I I love Alfred Molina as much as the next guy, uh, and I would say him and he and Ben Kingsley are probably given the the best two performances in the movie. Look, honestly, the four major performers in this film, Gyllenhaal, Arterton, Kingsley, and Molina, are doing pretty good work. Uh, I, I think Gyllenhaal is fairly miscast um, beyond just his ethnicity i think he's he's fundamentally wrong for this role because i don't know my favorite gyllenhaal roles are the ones where he's playing someone who's off like just outside of of the norm like my fa- my three favorite jake gyllenhaal movies or performances i guess i should say are uh nightcrawler he's so good in nightcrawler zodiac which is an amazing movie top to bottom and um the denis villeneuve film prisoners where he's playing like a, like a really stoic um, detective, Detective Loki. Um, it's like those are probably my top three favorite Gyllenhaal performances. And every one of those, he's not playing like a normal, charismatic, heroic figure like this. And he just seems wrong for this kind of role. This is not the kind of role I want to see. This is, this is the Orlando Bloom role in Pirates of the Caribbean. And that's, that's not what I like to see Jake Gyllenhaal do. And I think that's one of the reasons that I never really got super invested in this movie because like I never really got behind him as this kind of character. Yeah. Um, I like him as those off characters. I like him as Donnie Darko. Um, My number four. Hell, I like him as Mysterio and Spider-Man. Like, he's so fun as Mysterio and Spider-Man. He is. So like, and you can tell he's having a blast in that role too. Like yeah. he's playing him kind of off. Like it's he's playing it very straight-laced until the turn. And if you've seen Spider-Man Far From Home, you know where the turn is. And then he's just going bananas. And that's when that role really explodes for me is when Hall just takes it up to 11 and goes bananas with it. Yeah. That's so when it, I'm having a good time with him. So him to play this like straight like action hero just doesn't really, it doesn't work. No. And I mean, to his credit, he never did it again. He learned his lesson. So that's he good. He did. He did. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, so I'm mean, not the kind of stuff I really want to see Gyllenhaal, uh, Gyllenhaal doing. Um, but you know what? Glad that he, glad that he got this out of his system, I guess. But I mean, you can tell, I mean, this movie is like Aladdin 
meets Pirates of the Caribbean was kind of what I was thinking as I was watching it. Like you can tell the pirate, the stuff from Pirates of the Caribbean that's kind of carrying over like the swashbuckling nature of it. And I mean, you, you can tell those pieces are there. The one thing from Pirates that it seems to be missing though, and I think the one thing it desperately needs is a Captain Jack Sparrow analog. You don't have one in this movie. And you kind of need someone a little quirky and a little off the wall kind of coming alongside and doing some crazy stuff. I mean, you have Alfred Molina there kind of doing some of that, but he's more like a Gibbs character from Pirates of the Caribbean and not like a, a Jack Sparrow. You need someone else there to kind of play off how ridiculous everything is. That's what makes those movies so popular. And, and this movie just doesn't have that. Yeah, it it, it actually it's the thought that just came to me is they sort of maybe I'm off point here maybe you'll agree they it seems like they never fully commit to anything like with yeah Jake Gyllenhaal is like it's an action hero but like he's not something missing like they're not committing and Alfred Molina is like he's sort of Jack Sparrow but they're they're not committing to that yeah they're playing it very safe that's and that's really a good word for it is look we want this to be a franchise and if this is going to be a franchise we've got to play this safe whereas the risk of jack sparrow and jack sparrow was a risk um again at this point it's difficult for us to see how risky a move that is but in 2003 that's doing that in a major blockbuster kind of risky but it paid off big sometimes those risks don't pay off big but this movie isn't taking any risks at all no which really becomes disney's mo over time just yeah. we're not going to take any risks we're not going to do anything too big we got shareholders to appease we got a monopoly to build uh i would argue the only time they're willing to make to take something that big is if it's already a proven entity like the mcu like you don't get to avengers until you've laid the groundwork of you know, giving every hero their own individual movie first. You don't get to Endgame until you've basically been running the table for the last decade. And then we'll let you do the big risky. But by that point, it's not a risk. It's a known quantity. And you and if you're not taking risks until you have a known quantity, then you're not really taking risks. Right. It's, it's a fake risk. Mm-hmm. You know, k- killing off Tony Stark at the end of Endgame, that seems like a risk. You're finally killing off a major character, but it's not. It's yeah. not at all. You've set that the, up. Yeah, fans knew it was happening anyway because yeah. Robert Downey Jr. is he's too big for these movies now. He's commanding too much money. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah, so it it, it it's a uh, it's a safe play disguised as a risk. That's and that's exactly what it ends up coming down to. Uh, and this movie, but this movie's not even making any safe plays disguised as risks. It's just not taking risks. Period. Yeah, in pretty much every way possible. It's it's kind of weird. It's one of those movies where like this, you could have called it something different, and maybe you wouldn't have pissed off an entire fan base. True. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's and there there are a lot of things like that where, but but then again, if you call it something different, you don't have the built-in fan base already that's going to come out to see this movie, which is kind of why IP has become the it thing in Hollywood now. If, if we can make this thing that people know into a movie, the people that know and love this thing will come out for this thing. Uh, and that's 100% what this is. At first, anyway. And then it gets bad word of mouth, and then those people stop coming. Right. At least in well, terms of video game movies, anyway. Sure. Well, and then that's, that's kind of... Uh, the video game model is kind of a, its own poison chalice. Like, no one's really ever done it particularly well. 
Um, I mean, this year you've got Detective Pikachu, you've got Sonic the Hedgehog, which are pretty good, um, but even they're not great. I I don't want to argue this because I hate these movies, but Resident Evil did it. Okay. I mean, they certainly have a successful franchise. Is it good? No, not even a little bit. And I could talk for hours about it. You can probably hear the anger in my voice about it. But there... We will we will get to Paul W.S. Anderson one of these days. Don't even worry about it. Oh, we're going to get there. And I'm going to be real mad. <laughs> Except for Event Horizon. Yeah, I was gonna say you 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 do you do love your event horizon. But, but even a broken clock is right twice a day. There you go. There you go. So I mean hey, I have I've seen two W.S. Anderson movies in my lifetime. So uh was not particularly fond of either one of them. So do with that what you will. And one of those was Event Horizon, so we're gonna have fun on that episode. Hey, it's gonna be Brett just going, but why don't you like it? And me just going, I don't know. This is, uh, Got a lot of thoughts. Yeah, I know. I know. We'll get there, man. We'll get there. Don't worry about it. Don't for, don't even worry about it. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, but it, it, Prince of Persia, man, it's just... Mm. Yeah, honestly, that's that's the best way to sum up my feelings as well. Just, mm. eh, I mean, it's not bad, but it's not good. It's just kind of like, it's a movie. It, it certainly is a movie. It's a movie. It, it certainly is. Let's talk about the director a little bit. Mike Newell is kind of a, an old hat. At the, here's the thing. Mike Newell has some really great credits, and he also has some really bizarre credits. Um, so uh, he gets his start in, oh, man, the late 60s? How far back does his filmography go? The mid-60s, doing a lot of British television. Uh, he did a run on the the old British um, – I think it's actually still running. I don't know why I'm calling it old, but the it's old because it's been around since the early 60s. Coronation Street, the show Coronation Street. Oh man, a lot of TV movies. I'm going, I'm trying to find his first like theatrical debut. A lot of TV, so much TV. TV all through the 60s, into the 70s. A lot of TV movies, TV movies. The movie is called The Awakening and it's 1980. And it's a movie I've never heard of. Um, it, oh man, that's a cool looking poster though. Um, the poster's got like this, uh, it's like mummy looking thing. Yeah, it's a mummy. It's, it's a hundred percent. It's a, it's a mummy movie. Dude made a mummy movie starring mm-hmm. Charlton Heston. Holy crap. Yeah. So there you go. That's, that's Mike Newell for you. Making, uh, making mummy movies with Charlton Heston in 1980. His, uh, apparently his first critically acclaimed film, excuse me. Uh, it was a movie called Bad Blood, which got him some attention. Um, but the first movie of his that I have heard of, which he makes after directing a couple of episodes of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, uh, much like our, uh, pr- our last week uh, subject, Joe Johnston. We don't uh, just, plan this, listeners. We don't plan this sort of stuff. Just coincidence does happen. I literally didn't know that until I pulled up this his IMDb page. So I'm going to start calling out. That's, that's one show I will consistently call out, though, if I see any uh, directors who have done episodes of it i'll just for future reference i'll call that out going forward but uh four weddings and a funeral in 1994 uh was was his um i think maybe his big american breakthrough uh he also does the movie donnie brasco in 1997 with johnny depp and al pacino pirates of the caribbean's own johnny depp uh in 1999 he makes the billy bob thornton john cusack movie pushing tin um 
He does the Oscar player Mona Lisa Smile in 2003, a movie that I saw in theaters. It's got uh, Julia, uh, Julia Roberts, um, Jake's uh, sister Maggie is in that movie as well. Uh, and then he directs the, uh, the movie Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. So he's got some, franch- some big franchise experience. Uh, he t- and then he does Love in the Time of Cholera, which I watched on DVD when it came out because it had Javier Bardem in it. And you know what? That was a pretty good movie. I remember it being pretty good. I don't remember anything about it. I just remember that at the time I really liked it. Uh, and then that's in 2007. So he does Prince of Persia in 2010. Since then, he has made two movies and two movies only, not including made-for-TV films. Uh, one is the 2012 adaptation of Great Expectations, and the other is my favorite title in the history of cinema, The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. What? The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. Oh, okay, that. Uh, drama, romance, war. Um, it's got uh, Jessica Brown Findlay from, um, what's the name of that show? Um, Downton Abbey, she's in it. Tom Courtenay. I mean, it's... it's 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 a Lily James is in it. Very British movie. Very British movie. Because Mike Newell is British, you see. Sure, sure, that makes sure, sense. Sure. Um, but yeah, so that's that's his most recent film. Uh, is the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society? I don't know. It's like a World War Two set thing, I guess. I don't know. All right. All right. Sure. Sure. Uh, so you were telling me before the record that you had uh, some difficulty placing actor Richard Coyle in this movie. Did I? Yeah. Richard Coyle, who plays the character Tuss. Oh, yeah. See, I didn't even remember his name. Oh, uh, bravo, sir. <laughs> well, because like, uh, it wasn't a matter of like, I need to find this guy's name. It was just a matter of remembering where I'd seen him from. Uh, so I didn't look it up or anything. I just eventually remembered. Um, I looked it up immediately. I was Because at first I thought he was Michael Sheen. And then, like, he got, like, by the second scene, I'm like, okay, that's not Michael Sheen. Who is this? And I looked it up, and I went, oh, okay, that's where I know him from. But you, when did you remember? Uh, so I, re- I remembered. Uh, it took me the entire movie to, to figure it out. Uh, so we're, we're at the scene uh, where Dastan is trying to prove to him how, the, you know, the dagger's real and all that. Um, and then it finally clicked. I don't know why that scene in particular uh, did it for me? Yeah, so he's he is uh, Father Faustus Blackwood on the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Yes, he is, and that is where you know that's where I recognized him from because uh, I certainly haven't seen the British television show Coupling. No, although I'm I've not, been told I'm, I should. Yeah, I've heard of it. I've heard it's good. I yeah, never heard, heard, heard I should watch it. Haven't watched it. Uh, certainly have not seen uh, Five Days of War or uh, look at some other movies. Uh, <laughs> I mentioned this movie uh, a, f- a couple weeks back, A Good Year, with uh, Ridley Scott. And uh, it's the, the Ridley Scott and uh, Russell Crowe go to Italy and drink wine with Marion Cotillard movie. Oh. Apparently, he's, apparently he's in that one, too. So, oh, yeah. neat. Neat. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just learning all sorts of fun things today. Yeah, I learned that he did some H.P. Uh, Lovecraft audiobooks. Yay! That's I love fun. that. Love that. The more you know, man, the more you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't really have much else to say about this movie. I mean, do we want to talk about Jake Gyllenhaal's history as a leading man? I mean, sure. It is close to his birthday, right? It, it is. His birthday, I think, is on, like, on the 18th or something. It's later this month. So, yeah, happy birthday, Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, happy birthday, Jake Gyllenhaal. I love you and Donnie Darko. 
I, I love you in Zodiac and Nightcrawler. I thought you were unhinged in Nightcrawler. Uh, so really his first lead role is in 1999 in a movie that we discussed just last week because we talked about a movie directed by its director, Joe Johnston, October Sky. Yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal in October Sky. Uh, that's kind of his first lead role. He plays Homer Hickam, uh, who's a, a real person who uh, wanted to be an astronaut. And he became a... Uh, I think uh, aeronautical engineer, but it's kind of his, his story. I remember seeing that one a long time ago. It has another of our favorite actresses in it though, Laura Dern. Oh, nice. And we do stand Laura Dern because she is great. Indeed. Uh, and then a couple years after that, so that was 99 and 2001, he does your beloved Donnie Darko. Yeah. Which I'd always thought was his like breakout role, but it, it's interesting to know that was not it. His very first role is in 1991 city slickers. Wow, really? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And then he was also, uh, he also played a role in the 90s. And I remember this only because um, like it was in all the kids magazines I read when I was growing up. The 1993 film, Josh and Sam. Sam is a a capital S period, A period, M period. He's like a, a, a... kid whose little brother thinks he's a robot or something but he plays a character called leon coleman leon coleman he sounds like an old like an old jewish man leon coleman but no he's he's not he's jake gyllenhaal in 1993 so a little kid uh and then in 2001 he also in addition to playing donnie darko he also plays jimmy livingston his lead role in the weird comedy bubble boy which I have never seen, but vaguely remember. Yeah, I, I remember Bubble Boy, actually. I'd actually forgot that was him. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah. that's one of those forgotten Hall roles, for sure. Honestly, it's really, it's, 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 I wouldn't say it's good, but it's definitely funny. I do remember I've, it being pretty I've funny. never seen it, so I can't make a judgment. It looks hella dumb. Sure. Well, I mean, it, it's... Of that. And as, as I've made very clear, I don't really like dumb comedy, so it's gotta be it's gotta be a certain kind of dumb comedy because i mean there's sure. there's dumb and dumber dumb comedy but that's and, actually and pretty smart somewhat in some ways well sure in the way it uses dumb characters well sure but it's still kind of there's a difference between that or the bubble boy or like and we'll say like a medea movie or or the parody movies like Scary Movie and Disaster Movie and all of those. Or Baywatch. Or Baywatch. I kind of like Baywatch. I know. You kind of liked Baywatch. I did not. I kind of did. Um, his next big, big movie, this is probably another of his breakouts, was The Day After Tomorrow. Uh, famed Roland Emmerich disaster movie, The Day After Tomorrow. Uh, and then uh, the next year, he is in his only Academy Award nominated performance, which is bananas to me. Uh, is uh, Brokeback Mountain is uh, the two-hander he does with Heath Ledger, which I have not seen, but I'm told I need to. Do you really want to phrase it that way? Phrasing, Stephen. How did I phrase it? A two-hander? They're they're co-leads, man. What do you call it? Uh, Well, maybe not that. That's what it's called, man. Sure. Okay. (laughs) Whatever you say, buddy. (sighs) Throwing an explicit tag on this episode. (laughs) You and your filthy mind. Yep. I don't know. There's there's a subset of our listenership who probably thinks that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> don't don't make it sound so derogatory when you say that. I don't know, man. <laughs> I just uh, here's the thing. I just that never would have entered my head. Uh, then with Brokeback Mountain, we enter into the 
uh, Jake Gyllenhaal wants to win an Oscar phase of his career, which because that's the only one he's ever been nominated for, he's still in. So he's still leading movies, but now it's all, it's mostly Oscar bait stuff like uh, Jarhead, Zodiac, Rendition, Brothers, uh, Prince of Persia, Sands of Time is a weird outlier there because obviously he's not winning an Oscar for this movie. But the same year he does this, he does Love and Other Drugs, which was totally an Oscar player. Uh, that's the year that Anne Hathaway joked at the Oscars that she didn't get nominated despite taking her top off in a movie. Um, when she hosted with when she hosted alongside the cursed James Franco at that out, did you wa- you don't watch the Oscars so you don't know anything about that? But it's maybe the worst Oscar hosting job I've ever seen. That's impressive. Anne Hathaway is just like trying her best, and and James Franco is probably stoned out of his mind. <laughs> That sounds great to me, honestly. It, you watch some clips of it. It, it. it doesn't play well. It's kind of ridiculous. But then 2013, um, he does do the source code in 2011, which I've not seen but heard is very good. 2012, you've got the Denis, the Denis Villeneuve, or 2012 is End of Watch, the Denis Villeneuve 2013 year with Prisoners and Enemy, Nightcrawler in 2014, which he should have won for. That performance is in, is absolutely incredible. Nightcrawler is, to my mind, his best work. Southpaw in 2015, Nocturnal Animals 2016, Life 2017, Oakja 2017. Uh, that seems like more of a Jake Gyllenhaal kind of playing unhinged, having a good time kind of a film role. And But then there's the stuff that I like him where he's just playing weird, like Spider-Man Far From Home or uh, John Mulaney in the Sack Lunch Bunch where he plays Mr. Music. Like that's the kind of stuff where I'm just, like Jake Gyllenhaal is just going off the rails and taking me on a ride and I'm like in for it. But like the stuff where he's not like the lead of the movie, he's like a really fun character actor bit part. Like that's the stuff I really like to see Jake Gyllenhaal doing. Yeah. Same. Um, of, of those movies you mentioned, um, I've, I've seen Brokeback Mountain. I've seen Jarhead actually. Jarhead is oh, honestly pretty good. It's not really the kind of movie I watch, but I was like Jake Gyllenhaal's in it. I like Jake Gyllenhaal. Sure. I'll give this movie a watch. And it's not bad. Um, if I do recall, he does play a little off-kilter um, in that one. So That's stuff. what I want for my Jake Gyllenhaal movies. <laughs> yeah, and he, he he does good stuff. But other than those two, I, I, I apparently I need to see more Jake Gyllenhaal movies. Apparently. I mean, we had talked about doing a, a Gyllenhaal top five. I kind of went through what my top five was already. But uh, we didn't end up making that work. But uh, I think we both could probably stand to watch more Jake Gyllenhaal movies, quite frankly. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, I I think you, I probably could have come up with five, but it just would have been the five I've seen and it wouldn't have been very diverse. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, I've seen him in a couple other things, but my top five is pretty, pretty solidly the, the stuff I've liked him in the most. Um, Nightcrawler, Zodiac, um, Prisoners, Donnie Darko and Enemy. You need to watch his Denis Villeneuve films, um, Enemy and Prisoners. Uh, both of those are very good in very different ways. Okay, okay. Well, so I'm on the pile of stuff I need to watch. Yeah, I, I, I keep recommending stuff to you, and you keep not watching it. Look, man, just like <laughs> just like I recommend like non-movie stuff to you sure. to do, you don't do because you're watching movies. Because I'm watching movies. I, right. It, to be fair, though, I did watch the entire Halloween franchise. So You did. Congratulations. At your recommendation. And I love you for it. Um, that was, that was that a was, fun ride. Oh, that was I, – I was, I was texting you as I was watching them. So you got to experience all the emotions of my 
experience as I'm going. And boy, what a roller coaster that was. It was definitely a roller coaster. It's uh, uh it, it starts out so great, and then it's just like a free fall drop for like eight movies, and then it like big upswing there at the end. Like you're just going down, 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 little hill, down, 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 and then whoop up with 2018's Halloween, which is the second best Halloween movie. Yeah, absolutely. Hope, the uh, original. Hope to add some more to that section of the list coming up next year and the year after. Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, I'm. I have. I have a thought. Let me just go ahead and talk to you about it now. I know this has nothing to do with Prince of Persia: Sands of Time, but I don't think we have anything more to say about that movie. Um, Probably not. Let's just completely forget about it and talk about the Halloween franchise. So here's here's. I'm going to give you my prediction for what I think is going to happen in the next two Halloween movies because they're called Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. So my guess is they that Michael Myers is going to kill off Laurie Strode in the next one, Halloween Kills, and then in Halloween ends. Uh, his daughter and grand, or her daughter and granddaughter, Lori Strode's daughter and granddaughter, are going to revenge her and kill Michael Myers. And then Halloween will end hmm. until they reboot it again. That's my theory, based only on the titles of those films and nothing okay. else. I mean, that seems like a good a theory as any. Um, because we all know that Jamie Lee Curtis likes to come back for one Halloween movie and then get killed off in the next Halloween movie. That's kind of the the trend that she's developed over the course of these last 40 years of Halloween movies. More or less, yeah. Because she did the first two, and then they killed her off. And off then, screen even, which is just yeah, cold. Which is that, just shitty. Cold-blooded. And then she came back for the H2O. So it's every 20 years she comes back to the franchise. So, And then she did Halloween H2O 20 years later. And then in Halloween Resurrection, which is the worst of the franchise, they kill her off in the first 20 minutes which was the only way she agreed to do the second one. And then 20 years later, she does Halloween 2018, which is the 40th anniversary of Halloween. Uh, and then in the next one, Halloween kills. They, um, my theory is they're going to kill her off. Again. All right. Let's, let's bank that, write it down. Let's see if it comes to fruition. We got a year to wait. So yeah, that's my theory as someone who is uh, not a Halloween fan, but who has just recently watched all uh, 11 of the Halloween movies. It seems like a good theory, is any. I'm a Halloween fan. As, as I, I well know. And I think it works. So, yeah. There you go. Bank it. Yeah. Bank it, buddy. But anyway, cool. let's get back to Prince of Persia. Let's talk about the box office. Let's wrap yeah, this yeah, thing yeah. up. Let's wrap this sucker up. I feel like this is going to be our shortest episode ever because we're just... Okay. Um, so, this movie opened Friday, May 28th, 2010. Uh, it opened at number three. Uh, in number one at the box office uh, with a total gross of 27 million at number one for the second week in a row is sex in the city two, not even the first sex in the city, the second sex in the city in number two, holding steady at number two for the second week. And in its eighth week in the box office overall has already grossed over a hundred million Shrek forever after. So Prince of Persia opens below the fourth Shrek movie. And that is a franchise that starts crappy and just gets worse. So do with that what you will. People love Shrek, man. I know. Yeah. I don't understand it. I really I, don't. I don't either. The first one was okay. It was an I interesting take on fairy tales. but I rewatched it. It doesn't hold up. I would imagine it doesn't. It really I, doesn't. 
and yeah, I know those only get worse. So, but people love them, man. People are all about the I, Shrek. I know. I don't. I legitimately don't understand it. Maybe one day we'll be able to talk about Puss in Boots because that one hasn't gotten the sequel they promised yet. So, all right. So maybe uh, at number four in its twenty second week, uh, down from number three the week before is Iron Man two, and uh, in fourth place. Uh, starring the aforementioned Russell Crowe in its 15th week is the Ridley Scott Russell Crowe Robin Hood. So, I do yeah, not remember that film, even though you, you talked about it, Master I Commander. Did. I did. I still Master Commander, re- yeah. I still don't remember it. Uh, probably because it wasn't that good. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so in its opening weekend, it grosses about $10.2 million. Uh, total domestic box office, $90.7. Uh, total international, uh, $245 million. Uh, for a grand worldwide total of $336 million. Still not going to get a franchise, though, because that uh, domestic box office number is itty-bitty. But, like, why, why though? Like, th- shouldn't the final number matter and not so much the international number? You, you would think so, but uh, I think the Transformers movies are the only ones that they make for the international box office. Huh. I think it needs to be, like, completely big for Disney to give two shits about any of it. I suppose that makes sense, but that's definitely another one of those, like, we like to make money, but we like to make American money. Right. Yes. I, so when I was in high school, I went to Canada for a youth conference uh, when I was uh, it, it, with the youth group that I was in, the church youth group when I was a kid. And uh, we went up to Canada, uh, Toronto, and so many of the girls in my group would go into Canadian shops and ask if they took real money. Not American money. They would ask if they took real money. Yeah. And, and eventually they started correcting themselves. Like, do you take real, I mean, American money? What a correction. Yeah. Americans are uh, the worst. Hold on. I'm going to correct myself and be less insulting. Yeah. Still yeah. insulting. Just a little less insulting. I, I don't even know if it's less insulting. It's, it's still pretty awful. Um. The thermometer score for this movie is 37%. It's a big old green splooch. Uh, critics, critics consensus, it doesn't offer much in the way of substance, but Prince of Persia is a suitably entertaining swashbuckler and a substantial improvement over the most video game adaptations. Uh, would you agree with that sentiment? Based on my previous statement about the original writer just kind of expanding on the story and kind of doing his own thing with it, yeah, because, I mean, like I said, the things like the combat and the parkour, the things that the game is really known for anymore mm-hmm. nowadays, and the time-shifting mechanics. But it, actually, let me talk about that real quick. Because Yeah, go for it. It's really underutilized in this movie. Like It's, mm-hmm. it's the conceit of the whole thing. Like this, It's the main focus of the game. Like, it, you know, it... In, in the games, you know, it, it, it not only reverses time, it speeds up time, it stops time. Um... They don't do that at all in this movie. and That's something I thought this movie missed. It, I needed more time travel stuff. Yeah, I thought they were going to do more with it. But like the fact that they've, they've given this like <clears throat> weird, I don't know what the term for it would be, this constraint that they put on themselves, that like the, the sand is finite. And, you know, we can't use it that much. Right. Uh, that seems like a bad idea because now you making can't... it controlled by the sand at all when it should just be like the dagger. You can't make the dagger the MacGuffin. The MacGuffin have to has to be the thing you pour into the dagger. Right. 
which I, I believe in the games, if I remember right, it's, that's just the thing the dagger did. It didn't, you had a finite amount of it, but I don't think that's just because video game, you know, they don't want you to be able to constantly reverse time forever. Um, sure. Cause then, you know, then there's never a game over and the game's too easy. Right. Um, but yeah, it's never a thing. Like in, that's really upsetting that like they, they could have done so much more with that and they didn't. Um, yeah. So that, that's really sad. That's a bummer. Yeah. So, but other than that, you know, honestly, compared to other video game adaptations, looking at you, Super Mario Brothers, that just completely tossed the source material out the window. Sure. Uh, or Resident Evil. I should really say Resident Evil there. Because um, you kind of liked Super Mario Brothers. I kind of did, and I absolutely loathe Resident Evil. So, yeah, it's, it's not that bad in terms of adaptation. It really isn't. And here's the thing. Like, if this were just a stock standard adventure movie, there's a lot of stuff in here to like. Um, I mean, there's not much in the way of characters, but the, you know, the plot is kind of interesting. The time travel element is something new. There's not a lot of visually stunning stuff. I mean, you've got the, just in terms of like the set decoration and stuff. I mean, I could have used some of those monsters you were talking about, man. Like this is supposed to be the new Pirates of the Caribbean. Those movies had monsters. Like every one of those movies has a new kind of monster that they're fighting, except for the last one, which just goes back to ghost pirates because they're out of ideas now. But like, you've got like ghost pirates and monster pirates. And um, I mean, it's, it's, it's zombie pirates. It's completely different every time. But this, I mean, I could have used some monsters. I needed monsters in this. Uh, you've got like assassins. They kind of have a weird look, but. Mm. Well, which really, it just seems like the leader guy is really the only weird looking one. The rest of them are just like badass assassins. They don't really seem right. supernatural at all. I mean, they sort of play them like they are. They seem to be. But then by the other, by the other token, you get the, the princess who up to this point has shown no acumen whatsoever with weapons, picks up a sword and manages to fight one off. And you're like, ah, wait, that doesn't make any sense. Like these guys are supposed to be like the invincible, unstoppable horde. And you got this girl who's never picked up a sword, like actually kind of like trying to attack one of them. So, and not doing a bad job. Yeah. They, they play up the assassins as like these unstoppable force of a like group of assassins and they are not very good at it. Um, they're sort of good at it, I guess. Um, I mean, varying degrees of good at it, quite frankly. Yeah, which I guess makes sense. Not everybody's going to be, you know, but the you can, assassin, but but you shouldn't be able to make the elite group of assassins if you're cra- that crappy at your job. Also, I'm accurate. Just, I'm just going to say it. That's, that's a very fair point, and that's the problem. There just should have been monsters here. Just, I needed monsters in this movie, man. There should have been, you know, some. Some people got corrupted by the Saiyans is what should happen. Particularly if there's monsters in the game. If you're telling me there's monsters in the game but not in the movie, I'm I'm going to have to call BS on that. Sorry. Yeah, because in the game, everybody surrounding the castle when they were to unleash the Saiyans of time are corrupted by the Saiyans. And the only reason that the prince and the princess and the vizier aren't is because they each have their own magical thing that's attached to the sands the vizier has the he has a hold of a staff the princess has a uh a medallion and the prince has the dagger and that's the okay. only reason they don't get corrupted so that i mean that's a whole thing you, that's 
could have been part of this movie too and it would have been great should have been part of this movie i would argue it should have been you know ben kingsley is the vizier you give him the staff jafar style you know yeah to lean really lean into that aladdin comparison yeah why not just go all in on it you're obviously ripping it off for sure um to get back to the 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 critic scores uh the metacritic score is 50 uh so you know about halfway to a good movie uh, and then the letterbox score is 2.5, which is exactly what I gave it. 2.5 out of five stars. So I gave it exactly what Metacritic and exactly what letterbox gave it. I gave it a 2.5. What about you, Brett? That's exactly what I gave it as well. Look at that. We are so we, two weeks in a row. We have been on the exact same page with regard to our scores. Yeah. Look at that. I don't happen too often. I, I say that, but by this point it's probably happened more often than not. I don't know. I think it has actually. Maybe we, we got it. Go back and review the list. We tend to not always be on the same page when it comes to movies like this, but for this one, we are. Yeah. Honestly, so I, I was tempted to give it an extra half a star just for the Alfred Molina of it all. But, uh, sure. But still, I, it's, it's not worth three stars to me. No, it just, it just doesn't quite get there. Yeah. And I would, I would agree with that. Well, unless you have anything else to add, I think that brings us to the end of another edition of, uh, oh, I mean, do you think this one deserved the franchise? This is kind of one we haven't asked in a while. Uh, do you think this one deserved a franchise? And if so, what would the franchise have been? So this movie in particular, no, I don't think it really deserved a franchise. I don't think there's things you could do, um, I suppose. But I don't think this movie in particular, we didn't need to continue this story. I agree. Um, but... Um, let me just get a quick plot synopsis up here. Um, I think if you had had monsters in this story, I might feel very differently. We have, so the funny thing is, um, well, not really funny, just the interesting thing, um, is the sequel, Royal Within, the video game. Um, it's set seven years after Sands of Time. So you get oh. like a nice time jump. I think that would have been decent for this movie. Um, and so it, it's all about how the prince, like he he... He goes to an old wise man and it's it's explained that like the sands of time have to have to die, they have to end. Um just like it, the Jedi. Right. Well, because because the prince like escaped his fate. He did the whole time screwy thing at the end of the first one and went back before the game started and sort of cheated cheated death. Yeah. And so uh the sands aren't happy about that. <laughs> Why would they be? Um so so then he talks about like there's we get a lot of lore in the second one about the sands of time, and it's not similar to this one either. Um, it's not oh, similar, interesting. It's not similar to the movie. So there's like the Empress of Time that created the sands on the island of time, and it's um, it's weird like video game wonkiness. Sure, uh, I'll say. So the, the the whole conceit of the game though is because he cheated fate. Uh, there's kind of like a Langoliers thing going on. There's there's um, somebody called the Dahaka um, is hunting him down to to fix the timeline. And I think that's that's where you go. That's where that's where you could take the sequel to the movie too. Is him and the princess are both being hunted by the Dahaka, trying to correct the timeline because the gods are mad. I see. That sounds like a better movie. But from what based on what I read, there weren't any plans to use the sequels to the games in the sequels to the movie. It seemed like they were going to kind of do their own thing, which probably would have ended up being a mistake. So it's probably a good thing we didn't end up getting a sequel to this movie. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 
But like I said, it looks like Gyllenhaal learned his lesson and hasn't really tried to to be the lead of a blockbuster again. Uh, he he showed up in the MCU. That's about as as close to a franchise as I think he's going to get. But you know, we 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 like Jake Gyllenhaal. He's a good guy. Happy happy birthday in a in a week or two, Jake. So we're we're big fans of you here on uh, Disenfranchised. Hey, Jake, uh, come on the podcast sure, if you're listening, and I know you are. Come on the podcast. We'd love to talk to you, man. Right. We're we're big with celebrities. You got Paul Bettany. Jennifer Connelly, uh, Jennifer Connelly, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. They're all listeners. They all love yeah. us. They, we get emails from them all the time. They just have asked that we not read them on the air because, you know, for anonymity, which is, of course, why it's great that I'm talking about this. But, Brett, you'll edit all this out, right? Probably. Oh, great. And with that, I guess we come to an end of another arousing edition of Disenfranchised. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at DisenfranchPod. You can reach out to us by email like all of our celebrity friends do at disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Um, I can also be found on Twitter, letterboxd, and oh, what the heck, Instagram at Chewy Walrus. Instagram, if you want to see pictures of my food and my dogs. Uh, Brett, where can we find you on social media? Uh, you can just find me on Twitter and letterboxd at Gunslinger Fire. All right. And we are continuing our Disney Plus December next week. So if you have a Disney Plus subscription, uh, join us. You you might need to uh, join us a long time ago, um, perhaps somewhere far far away next week. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe something that we've been teasing for a while is finally something that we'll do. Who knows? Not me. You'll find out next week though. Um, uh, this is disenfranchised. I have been one of your hosts, Stephen Foxworthy, for Brett Wright and myself. Were those uh, like little like blade dart weapons? Were those in the game too? Like the the hasananananis that we're using? Nope. Oh man, those seemed like they were from a video game. I know, right? That's a bummer. What about the one where he's climbing up the side of the roof with the the arrows? Is that in the video game? It feels like it is, but if it is, I don't remember. Okay. Well, and when he's climbing up the side of the building with a rope, does that happen a lot in the video game? Uh, I mean, he does a lot of climbing. Okay. That all seemed like video game stuff to me. So I mean, you know, it's all parkour. Parkour. Hardcore parkour. Hashtag hardcore parkour. Hashtag hardcore parkour. <laughs>